0: Here's a thing you've never seen before.
1: Started as uh, as theater artists, Haley and I. What will be dramatic? What will be fun?
0: That's one of the unique things about our experience. Usually it's just game. Clock starts, clock stops. We wanted to deliver a story so profoundly. It's a
1: story about the power of illusion.
0: Storytelling is kind of in conflict with... The frantic energy of the escape room.
1: Probably just remove the clock. We're
0: always interested in taking our players, blinders off like, of you. one step outside of their comfort zone. It makes
1: you more aware of of the real world.
0: Living in these imaginary worlds, not just seeing them, because that's that's theater, that's movies. It
1: gives you different eyes. But
0: living in them gives you such a deeper sense of who you could be.
2: Hi, I'm Nathaniel Sky, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the masters of immersive experience create and conjure, muse, and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us that is, immersive entertainment. Welcome. Strange Bird Immersive is an escape room that, like Palace Games of Episode Nine, has received numerous accolades, including roomscape Artist's Golden Lock-In, uh, number three in the world by Escape Room Project, and most immersive by Escape Room Authority, to name just a few. Unlike Palace Games, however, uh, masterful immersive acting is used within Strange Bird to bring a full three-act narrative to life as you participate in a seance attempting to bring the ghost of Harry Houdini to life. Today, we're chatting with the brilliant minds behind Strange Bird Immersive and the blog Amherstology, Haley and Cameron Cooper. All right, Haley, Cameron, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you so much for coming on. So, of course, as is tradition, we will start with the aforementioned question being if you could choose one fictional or... fantasy world to live in and play some kind of role in what world would you choose? Uh, I'm going
1: to, I'm going to let Haley uh, work on this for a bit. I'll, I'll note that uh, I'm famously terrible at questions uh, <laughs> like this, as she'll tell you. Uh, so uh, Haley, have you come up with anything? Yeah.
0: Yet? Well, my whole family is like really into, you know, what were your five favorite art pieces in the exhibit that we just went to? Um, And that's a kind of question that Cameron isn't so much on. Um, So so for me, I would say that that question is hard. And it occurred to me recently that I'm not really a deep dive fan of much of anything. Um, Like, you know how like a lot of people are really into like Star Wars or Harry Potter and they go deep into the lore and they like memorize all of the trivia and really love it. Um, and know it backwards and forwards. And I've never really had that passion. You know, I've loved Lord of the Rings, obviously. I've loved Harry Potter. I love Star Trek. You know, Star Wars is okay. Um, but I've mm-hmm. never really gone into that deep research mode. And I think the reason for that is from my artistic perspective, I am a, I am interested in the story for its emotion. And usually what is being given to me is the plot in which that world is expressed as emotionally as possible. You have your inciting incident, something exciting happens, the character's point of view has to shift, they have to come to action, they need to do something amazing, you climax, you come to a resolution, you come full circle. That's what I really love. Um, So it's been hard for me to, to really get into the fringes of any one particular fandom.
2: Uh, enough, but for purposes enough. of the question, we need to
0: yeah okay 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 <laughs> so no, no, no. Well, I mean, you' don't have
2: to go deep. it could just be something that you'd be like, oh hey it'd be cool to like well, hang we be there we, for we an have an been afternoon.
1: we have been watching Star Trek Tng recently. oh yeah, uh, so we could pick that
0: yeah'll go, I'll go I'll go with that one
1: <laughs> sure <laughs> wonderful
0: it's it's so um i I just love the philosophical questions that happen in that world um I find I find the interaction with different kinds of peoples to be really fascinating. Um, like, I, I, like, it makes so much sense to me that the Klingons love opera and love Shakespeare because they live these big, bold, dramatic lives. Um, so it, it's just been fun to discover, you know, at 33 that I like the next generation.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, they do dig into that, that uh, the grandiose epics and narratives segment of that, which is really, really neat. Right. Well, wonderful. So one thing I have to ask um, – I saw reference of this. I'm not sure where I turned this up, but that some of the inspiration for the work that you guys have done as coming from the game Mist. Could you talk a little bit about oh. that? Maybe explain what Mist is briefly and then um, just like talk about the influence because Mist is such an incredible world in and of itself. Oh um, yeah. I had to ask. Yeah, yeah. Mist
1: is Mist is a, a landmark uh Computer game, just for those who don't know it, it was one of the first uh, sort of big
0: multimedia
1: extravaganza things. Like it came on a CD and had so much so storage. So exciting! Uh, it's uh, it's really it's really just a, a slideshow. It was made with uh, you know Apple QuickTime or something, uh, and you click on different points of the screen and it goes to different things. But it uh, it created a, a very carefully and artfully rendered world, uh, a small one. It was just a, a single island with a, well, there are you know, multiple
0: a, islands a couple it, dozen yeah.
1: screens that took you to, to different places. Is it, it was a puzzle game that didn't manifest as a puzzle game. It manifested as a world with different sort of more or less realistic and motivated mechanisms that you interacted with. Uh, in order to progress through a, a relatively simple but but still present story, uh, and kind of learn what had happened in this world as you as you go through it, you you start you literally start with sort of like a blank screen. You're pulled into a book, and bam, you're on this island. Figure out
2: what where do. you are,
1: what you need to do, who the people there are.
0: What has uh, happened, and here. all this
1: sort of all this sort of thing—it just—it yeah. just starts, and you have to discover everything uh, through environmental exploration. Uh, and we thought that you know we, we really like all of those elements. You know, we, we've also played games that are you know more explicitly puzzly and more explicitly environmental, and this strikes a really great balance between them.
0: It's also so. It's also really based in mechanisms. Um, which is a thing that we hadn't seen very much in escape rooms. I mean, what we just described is like our ideal model for an escape room. Um, yeah, we'd, like, we'd
1: really like to put a single person on an island for yeah. an, indefinite, <laughs> an indefinite amount of time and they can just have fun with it, but that's not really uh, viable.
0: Yeah. Um, but we were interested in creating in, in creating a game that was a little bit more about like, here's a thing you've never seen before. Why don't you explore the thing and figure out how it works um, in order to come to its solution? Um, so it was a little bit we were coming a little bit more from a like, you know, 3D um, kind of puzzle design um, which I think is when escape rooms are really at their best, is when you're doing puzzles that, you know, you've never encountered before, you couldn't take home, you couldn't do at home with pen and paper, um, something that is is extraordinarily unique and, you know, isn't something that, like, you're either good or bad at. You have to explore the thing itself because it's your first time really encountering um, the object. Um, and then, of course, grounding it in a larger story and a larger atmosphere. Um, like, mist is just gorgeous. Um, and that's one of the things that we value too is we like gorgeous spaces.
2: Yeah, and I, I really like that idea that is, you know, it's it's a puzzle that you have to discover rather than one that you just solve. There's a greater greater degree of interaction and experimentation and a little bit of learning curve with with a given thing there.
0: Right. And yeah, and like, it requires okay, here's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it requires um really good like user interface design on our end. You know, so that so that you can eventually get to the point where you understand the mechanism.
2: Most definitely. So, for those listening who aren't necessarily familiar with your work, um, could you explain just briefly what Strange Bird is? Uh, Strange Bird is a
1: hybrid company. We're uh, we do both immersive theater and uh, escape games. Uh, We started as, uh, as theater artists, Uh, Haley and I were both acting and and directing around town. uh, And we found out about immersive theater and escape rooms around the same time and thought these sound like really good compliments to each other. Uh, We can take the, uh, the fun of the escape game and wrap it in uh, the theater to give it more uh, sense and meaning and uh, bigness. Uh, So we, uh, we created our our first game, the man from beyond uh, based on a Houdini seance. You uh, attend a Houdini seance with, uh, with one Madam Daphne. Uh, and she intends to uh, to call and talk to the spirit of Harry Houdini. Uh, but both she and you get uh, more than you bargained for.
2: Heard. Wonderful. And it, it sounds like, it, I think that your approach to constructing a puzzle environment is really interesting because I think that many creators of escape rooms come from Different angles, and not many come from the initial anchor of of theatrical elements of storytelling. Of having an actor in there, yeah, and mm-hmm. of storytelling, right.
1: yeah. There's there's a lot of there's you know a lot of escape room owners come from the puzzle side of things, uh, as is natural. Uh, increasingly, uh, many escape room uh creators come to it from the scenic side of things um, uh, haunted
0: houses a lot of uh yeah. yeah
1: either either from haunted houses or from uh the theme park world uh or from the you know sort of film set world uh you know disney people uh all these people we know have made escape rooms but um I think we still don't know anyone who's
0: theater
2: background (laughs) who
1: really came to it from theater. I'm sure there are some out there, but we haven't met them yet. uh, Amongst all the others that we've met, Uh, so we we really started from a background of what will be dramatic, what will be fun, uh, what will be uh, what will look interesting, uh, what will play believably. Uh, we were like,
0: really interested in realism, too. Yeah, like, yeah
1: we, we selected our story specifically because it had an antagonist, if you will, that, you know, could plausibly create this world that had puzzles and other hidden things in it. You know, a magician ghost, uh, you know, that just sort of ticked all the, all the boxes for, for plausibility of scenario. Uh, Certainly. which is, you know, one of our hobby horses, yeah. uh, we being in a, you know, immersive is right there in our name. So we wanted to, to have something that you could believe in, uh, you know, it's, it's cool to be on a, uh, a spaceship or something, but we couldn't believably make a, a spaceship, but we could believably make a seance parlor.
2: So that's what we decided to do. Without a doubt. So how do you guys balance like time spent on puzzles for guests versus time spent interacting with the actors in the room? Or how do uh, you kind of mesh those two things?
0: That's one of the unique things about our experience is, um, is the way that we have structured the two elements. Um, we've, we've experienced a few games with actors in them. Um, And the common complaint that we hear and that we feel ourselves is if there is an actor in the room during the game, because usually it's just game, like clock starts, clock stops, and that's your experience, Um, that you can kind of feel a bit of push and pull, like, do I want to be interacting with the actor? Should I be paying attention to them? Or should I be solving the puzzles? And in some weird way, like these two things aren't coming together. Um, They're conflicting. Um, so what we really wanted to do, since we wanted to deliver a story so profoundly, like, like most escape rooms, you really just do the middle of the structure. They, they skip the beginning and they skip the end. Um, usually the beginning is just like the game master telling you what, what just happened here and why it is that you need to solve the puzzle. And then at the end, you've solved the puzzle and you don't really get that, that climax in that denouement where you really get to see how you saved the world if you know if such is the scenario. Um, the game master comes in and says, congratulations, you won. Um, and we were interested in really giving it going deeper in those sections. So that's kind of what we do structure-wise is we have theater at um, the beginning of the game and at the end and a fair amount of it. And then in the middle is the game itself so that the quote-unquote scenes are not happening with the game it's very clear to the players when it is they're in a scene and when it is that they are in the game Um, we do have a few moments within the game where we have um, storytelling and the way we direct attention with that is by creating a a puzzle flow that bottlenecks really sharply so that the players know there's no other puzzle for me to solve right now i i need to pay attention to this thing And then, of course, keeping those cut scenes that are within the game um, very short. Um, You can't really indulge those scenes on the game clock. Um, So that's essentially how how we structured it. Um, And in our next experience, we're going to be doing a a similar sort of structure where you really focus on the beginning and the end, which I think is where your non-playing character, your actor, um, can really make make the game go deeper. Um, make it feel realistic. Make it make the stakes matter.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny when we started when we started making this. It was actually very. It was actually fairly early in the life of escape rooms. There's only a couple in town at the time. It's
0: 2015.
1: But we uh, we kind of assumed that everyone knew what the form was and was uh, kind of invested in it. So we made sure that all of the elements of the escape room were there intact and that we weren't uh, sort of cutting any of them short uh, by adding the immersive theatrical elements. So we do, all of, we do most of the storytelling. Well, we do most of the acting work, not the storytelling work. Storytelling happens all the time. But we do most of the acting stuff off the clock explicitly. Uh, So that, you know, when the clock is ticking and when it's not, in fact, it'll, the game will tell you, hey, the clock is stopped now. Don't worry about it. Uh, We're going to, you know, this is part of the, uh, the storytelling time and you don't need to have, you know, you can turn off your puzzle brain for a minute and pay attention.
0: Yeah.
2: Ah, that makes sense. Using the clock as a device to shift attention.
1: Yeah. And uh, in fact, in the, in the next, in our next game, we'll, we'll probably just remove the clock. Uh,
0: Which we're doing for multiple reasons, yeah. you know. But but one of them is like there is a harriedness that happens. I think in 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 escape rooms that poses a threat to storytelling. Storytelling is kind of in conflict with the frantic energy of the escape room, and and it's important to us to like leave space in there to to not be in that frantic mindset so that you can experience a wider gamut of emotions other than just the frustration and elation that is common in puzzle games.
2: Ah, I see. That makes a lot of sense because there really is kind of a binary emotional context to Mm -hmm. escape rooms. You're able to open some of that up. That's really incredible.
0: Yeah. I am don't get me wrong. Elation is a phenomenal emotion. Like, I love escape rooms. I think they're fantastic. Um, But what we're interested in is, is adding to that. that emotional experience
2: most definitely adding a little bit of resolution so to speak Mm -hmm. so on that note what what is the kind of why behind the escape room and so far as like the core dramatic question or what it is that you're trying to give audience members throughout the course of the experience and maybe Mm -hmm. even as a takeaway
1: that actually that evolves during the experience uh, and the actual the actual sort of core experience of the man from beyond is something that we don't advertise. Uh, we do like, we do like to say, uh, that it's a story about the power of illusion and, uh, it's also a story about love and loss. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of, uh, that's kind of a, a secret. Uh, and, and we're working with a magician and magicians keep lots of secrets.
2: Certainly uh, as is necessary, but I, <laughs>
1: I, I can, I can say that the, the sort of, the sort of vibe of the thing is kind of, uh, dark and atmospheric. We'd really like to turn the lights down more than we have. Uh, but you know, we want people to be able to see things uh, and read and whatnot, but, uh, you know, you, you come in and the, the lights are, are dim and there's interesting objects about and uh, sort of uh, soft, slightly spooky music playing. Uh, we evoke, you know, very lightly a sort of a lot of sort of the haunted house introduction tropes might be walking around with a, a candelabra in hand. Uh
0: <clears throat> looking at spooky pictures and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, it's uh, the rooms filled with uh, Houdini antiques, and uh, obviously we we begin with a a seance. Uh, so it's it's all yeah. it's all sort of set up to support that uh, that feeling.
0: Phil- philosophically, we're we're always interested in taking our players like one step outside of their comfort zone. Um, I kind of feel like if you go any further, they're going to reject, they're going to put up a wall, they're not going to go there. But if you do one step outside of their comfort zone, then they really have that sense of, of adventure of expansion, um, like doing something new, but still feeling, you know, safe within it. Um, because, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, this is their first taste. I'm more mean, in Houston, um, it might be their first taste of immersive theater. Um, in, in a lot of cases, it's also their first escape room, um, and we do ask them to perform a séance and to take it seriously, um, which is, you know, just that one step outside of the comfort zone. I think. Um, so Definitely. we kind of hope that that whole experience just is kind of the right side of of completely new for them.
1: Yeah, we. Yeah. Uh... We kind of we kind of think that the the atmosphere probably falls somewhere in between "Sleep No More" and "Then She Fell." <laughs> uh, if one is familiar with uh, with those New York uh, Titans immersive theatrical <laughs> standby, or is that the right word? Whatever the
0: standard bearers, stand, yeah, the yeah. standard
2: bearers up in up in New York. Certainly, certainly, yeah. And I think likely most of the audience probably probably at least aware. Of of both of those guys. Um, <clears throat> and I think that one step concept is, is really, really key. And I think that's something that's hard to achieve in escape mm. rooms without having a theatrical portion of it, because hmm. I mean, kind of like, uh, Pete Billington of fable studios who, uh, Wolves and Walls and all that um, oh, yeah, yeah, talks about with like overloading the signal insofar as they do it in sound design but that is kind of that thing if you can overload the signal coming in just enough then you can bring bring an audience member bring a guest to a place where there's enough going on that they know that they can't necessarily latch on to all of it they can't pay attention to every bit of it and so they have mm-hmm. no choice but to accept their, their immersion <laughs> into, <laughs> right. into another world
0: Right, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah, a lot of uh, the, the sort of standard mode
1: for escape rooms uh, seems to be that they they know that they're going a little bit far in sort of the believability aspect, Yeah. Uh, and they they kind of they often try to temper that uh, usually through humor or sort of a, a good naturedness of the the introduction, uh, which I think works. Works really great for uh, general general use. We just do it a we do it a different way. We actually we never mention the word escape room after after once you enter once you enter a facility, we never say that it's a game. We never say that it's an escape room. We do read you you know the rules, but they're the rules of the seance, uh, and we sort of leave it to your understanding of what you're doing, uh, to to infer that it's also the rules of the game. Uh, oh, I like that. Don't so, talk about the fourth wall. It's not there anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we, yeah, we have no fourth wall. Once, you, <laughs> once you're once you in it, you're in it. So we, we kind of do a little bit of sort of meta play with the, the escape room aspects of things. Our, our way of making people more comfortable with the experience is to not push too hard once you're in there. Uh, it would be Really easy to, and we know how. But we're sort of careful to to temper the ramp into the experience, uh, such that we we try not to to throw you off track, uh, try not to break the flow, as it were.
2: Yeah, that onboarding is a it's a delicate process, certainly. Um, all right, so I wonder if now might be a decent time to shift gears slightly mm-hmm. and jump into the make it immersive segment. If you guys are down. Yeah. Let's give it a shot. All right. So if we are taking Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> and <laughs> applying it to your guys' lens, your guys' skill sets and uh, oh, your, your tool belt. Um, so to speak, how would you, how would you set something up like that?
0: Well, the the very first thing that I think of is, is the problem of, of getting them where they need to be, which is probably on a spaceship. Like, let's be honest. Like we all want to be on the bridge, right? Um, seeing what they see and solving what they solve. Um, And and it is actually a very common set in escape rooms to do a sci-fi bridge, but you, you, you can't have a door that you open and suddenly you're on a spaceship bridge. It doesn't work that way. Um, so there has to be some sort of very dramatic, very magical opening sequence to transition the players from whatever space it is in, you know, like if it's the strange bird immersive facility, you know, they step into an office and then they get transported and the office like becomes completely different.
1: yeah it's a, it's a it's a little bit of of cheating and because we've actually we've actually seen this particular trick before. Oh,
0: yeah,
2: it's true. five wits uh,
1: yeah five five wits uh, in their uh, space themed game is a. Absolutely brilliant uh, transporter sequence, uh, and that would be a, a natural way to transition one yeah. uh, onto a, a Star Trek universe ship. Uh, yeah, but it's, I, we T- just... TNG is actually kind of an unfortunate choice for us because it's such a character-driven uh, piece. It, it seems like it would almost be a disappointment uh, to like go any go anywhere involved with that and not. Encounter the card, or, yeah. or one of the other characters that are there. Yeah,
0: so probably so that's a tricky one. I mean, we we usually build our games, um, like like we say they're not in separate silos. We do story and puzzles at the same time. Um, we don't create the story and then say, oh, and we add in puzzles. Nor do we create the puzzles and say, oh, how do we tie this into story? We do those two things together creatively. Um, so so I think we we've got to have somebody in in trouble on a planet and the engagement is happening with, um, with uh, on like on the bridge, like figuring out how to handle the different situations um, as you're kind of like interacting with the away team or something like that. I think certainly
1: it might be, a, it might be a nice opportunity for a, uh, you know, of course we're going to, we're probably going to te- approach this from a uh, uh, immersive escape game format. Cause that's what we do. It might be a nice opportunity for a a split team game. Mm. Uh, Communication between away team and and bridge and engineering. Yeah,
0: yeah. Although we have played games where the team is split the whole time, um, which is a certain a certain kind of experience. Um, It really pushes communication to the absolute limits. You have to be really good communicators to do that. I don't
1: know. I guess I I think actually for. I think we would need, I think the audience would need to be the guest stars on the episode somehow.
2: Mm, yeah, I
1: think you can't, I think we can't actually be Worf. the crew of the Enterprise. I think we have to be the, the wrinkly-nosed uh, alien guest stars in some something. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, definitely.
0: Well, but it, does that push the bounds of believability, though? You know, like like one well, of the
1: no, that's that's the, I, I don't know. I think that's the way that it's most believable.
0: Well, if if, well, okay. we're,
1: if they encounter us in a time travel episode or something. Well,
0: obviously, we're not talking <laughs> about intellectual property right now, you know, but like what we really should do, like we could do that. Like we could be the aliens um, as as human beings encountering a Star Trek like race. Like maybe, you know, I don't know. Believability is kind of important. Um, we don't we don't really like. No, I mean, we, we, we do like. But role play, we think, is hard for the audience to follow.
2: It is. It is. Um,
0: and, and there's a lot of role play in escape rooms um, where, you know, you're an archaeologist or whatever. Um, but you don't actually have archaeologist memories or, or, or knowledge or something like that. Um, and I think that people end up feeling a little bit more awkward if they are asked to, you know, make up a character backstory or understand something about their own race. Um, if we make them aliens or something like that, um, that I think would be challenging. So we'd probably sit and debate this for a little while yeah, until hopefully. we kind of find out that sweet spot of of what what the audience would find most amazing. Yeah
1: one of our one of our premises at, at Strange Bird is whenever whenever you enter one of our uh, experiences, you're not someone else. You're you. You're doing something that you would do with you know with one exception. The one exception being that you would come do this thing, uh, you know, you're you're you, you're in Houston, you're
0: twenty nineteen in
1: twenty nineteen, uh, and all of that's you know normal. Except you would come to a Houdini seance. Uh, that's
0: that's like the one. Leap that's, that's like that we the, ask that's of you? the one. <laughs> yeah.
1: So if we were doing something with Star Trek, we would probably we would try to find the you know, the, the one leap is that, you know, you've been transported aboard during like one of their time travel episodes or something. Yeah. And like the, uh, the entire crew has been frozen in time and the computer has, uh, searched out some, uh, you know, the nearest humans, uh, to bring aboard, to, you know, because it doesn't have any humans to, uh, solve the problem because they've all gotten frozen in a space time anomaly or something. <laughs> Ooh. So I, I think that's, I think that's, that's probably something like the approach we would, we would take something that leaves you in your own body.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And
2: I really, really like um, the way that you guys are approaching it insofar as before jumping into the mechanics of the experience itself, thinking like the entire thought line of thinking is very much How how do we set the stage? And I like that that is like the pivotal thing that that needs to be conquered and accomplished um, (laughs) insofar as how you guys design things. That's really incredible.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like we're kind of creating movies, you know, like escape rooms sell themselves like movies, like the very beginning of a movie or something. We all have trailers. Um, And and I really think that that this art form can go that big. Um, that it can really make you feel like a star, not just give you puzzles to solve, but really put you inside you know the the fantasy worlds where you can really be the hero um, that that you've always you know felt like you could be.
2: <laughs> yeah, most definitely. and that that setting that setting the conditions is kind of the most important part of making you Putting, putting a guest into a place where they can feel like that's a thing as opposed to just being like, bloop, here's a world. Good right. luck.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it can it can work that way. Like, I believe, you know, you, you as long as you have a threshold, you know, upon which, like, from here on we're in that make-believe world, we like to put that threshold as soon as possible. Um, like, obviously, we can't sell – tickets to a houdini seance that would be very challenging so so like our ticketing is not immersive but once you purchase that ticket we try to make it as within that world as possible
2: yeah certainly and i would say not can't necessarily sell tickets to a houdini seance right now but i would argue that as the world of immersion kind of becomes less of a nascent conversation um we will see a bit more uh Uh, Some some doors and some things unlock.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I'd love to see see the world get stranger in this way. Well,
2: I mean, we don't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to
1: actually fool people. That's true. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But you know, certainly, I would sell tickets to uh, interested in an outer space adventure and show up at this location for for transport at X time, and then away you go. I mean, that would be fun.
2: Then away you go. All right, so maybe to do once again another soft shift from there. Jumping into a few more questions here because I have far too many for you guys um, (laughs) than we have time for. But I would be curious as to to ask what you guys see as the value of play. Like, what do you think is the thing that a space where adults can actually kind of play and immerse rather than, you know, just consuming something, some piece of entertainment that does have a very finite fourth wall. Like, where do you think the value point is in that? Uh, it's Sorry, bel- a little nebulous.
0: No, no not at all. That's there's, something we're super passionate about. There's
2: there's a lot to it. One of, the, one of the first
1: things I go to on that is that the thing that immersive entertainment really gives you uh, that uh, more external-based – Forms of entertainment don't is it gives you different eyes. Uh, You come out of something like that looking at the world in a different way. Uh, It's uh, it sort of creates different different dimensions. It makes you more aware of of the real world. Like you can you look at someone else on the street and you think they. They have a, a story behind them, maybe one that they're experiencing right now. What might that be?
0: Can uh, I follow them?
1: It's sort of <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels to me like it sort of takes takes some blinders off of you, uh, makes the mm-hmm. makes the world a, a more a richer, more magical place.
0: Yeah, one of the things I'm really passionate about is is how much. Like living in these imaginary worlds, not just seeing them because that's that's theater, that's movies, but living in them gives you such a deeper sense of who you could be. Um, I kind of believe that identity is a lot more fluid. Than it is like focused on like, oh, here's what I am. I, I was this person from my birth and this is who I will continue to be until I die. Um, whereas immersives, I think really, you know, they put you in unique imaginary circumstances. Um, and if you believe them, you're going to find yourself doing really unusual things. And I've been to many shows where – or and, and escape rooms too, where I leave and I say – I kind of like who I became there. That was new to me. Can I bring that into this world too? Can I be a little bit more that way? Um, I mean, Sleep No More taught me that I was actually like a hyper aggressive weasel that I had that within me, um, and that maybe I should bring that out a little bit more in my life um, and not be so nice <laughs> and actually like ask a little bit more for what what I want and be assertive in that way. Um, you know, escape rooms are really phenomenal. Um, you know, because you, you get to exercise a number of different skills um, and you also get to experience your friends that way, which is something that, you know, like the dark ride or the sandbox of other kinds of immersives, um, one-on-ones and things like that don't show you. Um, whereas escape rooms, since they're a team sport, you kind of get to see how your friends work together and how we can bond together in this new imaginary circumstances. And it leads to just richer relationships. Adults don't play. They just don't. And it's it's so essential, I think, to continue this idea of um of of, of play that we have in childhood.
1: You know, and you know, play in childhood and, and any other time is uh, a mechanism for rehearsal. Uh <laughs> it's a mechanism for, for practicing yeah. uh, for situations that you'll encounter in life. Uh and dra- and you know, dramatic entertainment uh, is uh, essentially a form of rehearsal for uh, extremes that you might encounter in life. Yeah. Things that we don't uh, do day to day, disasters and, and uh, extreme things happening to you. Yeah. Extremely beautiful things, even uh, both sides of the spectrum.
0: Yeah, it's like a safe space to practice your emotion.
1: Yeah, and that's you know that's drama in general. Movies will do that for you, but we we think that uh, immersive entertainment, being uh, something that you're really there in body for, uh, is an even more powerful gateway to to what play uh, can do for you. Uh, it, it can even be dangerous. We've been to to shows that had uh, more challenging content and seen people uh react to it uh strongly because it was something that they were more involved in uh than they would be if they were sitting in a dark theater watching the watching the show. Uh but probably even that let them uh unlock something more safely than it would be had they encountered that situation for real.
2: Yeah, cer- certainly there are- Bits of environmental controls and ways that I just like that um, lets you practice your emotions. Mm. I think that is that's a really interesting thing. And I think you're right there. There's not really a space for that within our culture at the moment.
0: Um, Yeah, it's always stop crying. Why are you crying? You should solve whatever is making you sad. That's that's kind of the attitude that we have in the culture. (laughs) Um, and that's that's not healthy. It's not healthy. Um, so we turn to I think our entertainment as as an outlet for that um kind of emotional regulation that we're expected to have in life.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. And there's certainly like historical context for that as well, insofar as like there's uh there's the kind of like lens slash theory that uh Dan Carlin puts forth insofar as considering like what say like the Coliseum games were. And so far as this mm-hmm. almost like ritualistic cultural release of being like, Hey, this is, you know, just as this, this ties back to, you know, this is how things sh- do feel. This is a way for you to experience something kind of vicariously. And I don't know the, uh, the lack of fourth wall is really an unprecedented thing. It, it still blows my mind that this is, I mean, it, it has been a way around in, you know, certain shapes and forms for so long, but the fact that it is just now coming to a place where there's so much more inside of it, I think is fascinating.
0: It is a very exciting time to be in this, in this genre. I've, I've often described it as like, um, you know, being at the birth of the American musical, um, which is a very unique art form. Um, and and when, when it began, you know, it was just, it was just wide open. Um, anybody with a lot of passion and, and dedication and some good ideas um, can, can create something meaningful.
1: Yeah. It's, I don't know. It seems, it seems to me that there, uh, there once was more participative art and ritual even that, that one might describe as immersive experiences, but I, A lot of that seems to have gone away with sort of the industrialization of entertainment. (laughs) Uh, You know, we don't gather around the piano and sing anymore. Uh, In fact, most people are terrified of singing because they are not used to doing it with other people. Uh, And, I, you know, probably the record killed that. Uh, And in the same way, you know, TV and movies killed to you know, sort of live entertainment. And we're, I, th- I think what a, the modern immersive wave is about trying to bring that back in in sort of a different way. Huh. Uh, I don't know. That just occurred to me, but that's I, really
0: fascinating. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I like
1: to sometimes think in, in larger historical strokes and I, that, that maybe that's what's happening. Who knows? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe, oh. maybe we just need to gather around the fire and dance some more together.
1: Yeah. Uh. I mean, that's a, that's an immersive uh, theatrical experience.
0: Yeah. I would dig that. <laughs> Our Next at, escape room is just at, a fire.
2: Yes. <laughs> and to any who have not spent any time dancing around fires, it is highly recommended. Very recommended. Good quality. <laughs> So where did the name strange bird come from?
0: Oh, this is a good one, man. We had, we had, a, we worked on our name, um, kind of like first, I don't know why. Um, but we kind of felt like it would, it would give us a good foundation. Um, and and we had a number of like other names what were they like um Bone
1: struck was my favorite Bone struck
0: yeah uh, the proprietor all sorts of like weird stuff and like our friends were all just like these are terrible these are absolutely terrible you can't use one of these um there's <laughs> there's a massive rainstorm um one day as there is in Houston um and and Cameron and I had just gotten home um the power was out he went out to the breaker box he comes back and he's like haley there's a really strange bird out there and I immediately am like strange bird that's a good name you know so so we go outside and there's this like bedraggled very unhappy bird on a branch and will not move this this bird like sitting it,
1: right in front of the breaker box
0: yeah like yeah he actually had to like move the branch to like get at the breaker box and this bird was like too tired too disoriented to care like it was just it was, it was a, it was a very strange bird, um, and basically, since that phrase got uttered, we were like, "Oh, well, that's it," um, you know. And it emphasizes that kind. Like, I like the the adjective "strange." I think that that encompasses a lot of of what we're doing. It's doing something unusual that you haven't experienced before. It's breaking you out of your shell. You are doing something that's not normal. It's strange, um, and the bird thing. I mean, birds are just wonderfully creepy. Um, and, uh,
1: it's it's kind of fun. It's actually, uh, it's, it's a piece of, uh, slang uh, from an, from a generation even older than mine. Uh, that means, you know, a a weird person, an odd duck is kind of a related phrase. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: most most people of our age don't, don't know that phrase at all. So we just kind of like re rebirthed it or something.
1: Yeah. Uh, and it's that's not quite what we mean, but it it also gets the point across if you happen to know that.
0: Yeah, um, and and the bird thing is also suggested to us, um, like kind of the beginning of a mythology building, um in our in our new space, you know, like in a, in our old space, you used to open up the door, and it, boom, you were in Madame Daphne's terror reading room and seance parlor. Like we basically rented out an eight hundred square foot studio. Um, and in our new space, um, we have essentially a, a meta lobby. Um, we have restrooms, hallways, and all the sort of stuff that connect all of our different experiences. Um, and I actually call this space the overworld, um, much like Zelda, really. Um, so I conceive of, of that as the overworld. And that has a certain vision, and somebody is in charge of it, and that's telling a certain kind of story. And then within these doors are essentially the temples, where you go in and you experience something very specific and contained within that space. Um, so the bird thing has been helping flesh out some of the overworld mythology for us.
2: Certainly. Certainly. I like the, uh, the positioning of, Hey, this is a space before <laughs> the a space before a space, the overworld. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great story though.
0: <laughs> we have that picture. It's 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 he's a weird bird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um so where did the idea to do the um oh I'm I'm blanking on uh the bird friend's name at the okay. moment. Um through the process of uh changing your location, you had the game that was oh, located
0: Walter, Walter yes. where's Walter? Oh yes. yes. <laughs> um so Madam Daphne has a very lovely bird. Um, named Walter. Um, and everybody gets to meet him. Um, and he's not quite right. Um, and uh, when we when we moved locations, we created a, a little a little game to kind of announce our new location to to our followers. Um, so it was, a, it was a bit of a uh, online scavenger hunt, where we took Walter to like all of these cool locations around Houston, um, until he eventually settled into his new home.
1: Uh, yeah, well, Walter is just a very minor character in The Man from Beyond. So we, we sort of gave him his own uh, little spin-off game.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I am not familiar with the Houston area. Um, but despite that fact, I definitely spent quite some time, more time than I'd like to admit, <laughs> running around looking at the photos, trying to be like, <laughs> All right, Where is that? Is there any way that I can figure it out until I finally just accepted the fact that, that I did not have, <laughs> have the background knowledge necessary? But that was really
0: right. Cool. Yeah. Like, like we, we tried. We tried to make it such that um, Google Maps, you know, could could be your guide if you weren't familiar. Um, so such that you could kind of look around the area and, and uh, you know, but um, but of course, like, you know, you got to test these things. Um, whereas Walter was um, was for us relatively untested. I mean, we did some internal tests before we released it, but it didn't have to be perfect um, in the way that our games, we feel like, do. We like to have our games play be very, very elegant, very, very consistent, um, you know, well-clued, essentially – um because we want people to to get across to the place where they get you know the complete and full quote unquote good ending um and uh and where's walter of course like didn't quite have those stakes <laughs> but we thought it was still fun
2: yes yes most definitely so as we are coming up um towards the end of our time here unfortunately um I think that I have just one more question uh, to throw at you guys briefly um, before we start um, discussing where people can find all of all of your work and thoughts, etc. So as a potentially excellent way to cut this off, if you could have a billboard um, getting the message out to millions or maybe billions of people, uh, metaphorically, non-commercial billboard, um, what would you what would you put on that billboard?
1: We are, uh, we have not disappeared. We're thinking about it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, marketing is tough. Like anybody in this industry knows that just explaining what you do takes way too much time. Um, because, you know, I, every, every once in a while, like I get, oh, you mean like dinner theater, um, you know, and I'm like, yes, but good and taken seriously, you know, like, <laughs> it, um <laughs> Uh, It's 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 a bit of a challenge. We
1: We, we've we've gone through a number of different uh, slogans. Find out who you really are.
0: Yeah. Uh, Uh, Don't don't just see what happens. Be what happens. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Because that one really pivots that that you are active, um, which is what we think is really fun. Um, You know, I I think I think we would probably choose something a little bit more direct. Um, as much as I would love to put up, you know, um, a phone number to call, um, it needs to be clear, um, because it needs to be clear what it is that you are selling, I think, because, um, because the world is still new to this. Um, so I couldn't be completely immersive. It would have to be very, very clear, I think.
2: Certainly. Certainly. Sorry. I know that was a little bit of a curveball there. Um. But
0: any other I'm that what yeah, yeah all right go ahead Cameron's <laughs> like he's Cameron's like I almost have it I almost have the perfect praise for our billboard.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, <I> not It's <laughs> not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. A, you know, an experience like you've never had before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. We're we're really selling experiences. Uh,
0: yeah, that's how we conceive of it, and that's the best way to describe it. You know, um,
1: it's like come 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 do something strange and amazing i don't know uh yeah i don't yeah, know yeah. The, the don't don't just see what happens be what happens is is a good part of it
0: yeah
2: no i do like that i do like that um so from there where where can people find you guys
0: uh well we are at uh Immersive dot um, in Houston, Texas, you can come and experience The Man From Beyond. Um, we are working on additional experiences as well in our new location. And, um, and tickets are currently available again. Um, we, had, we took a year off while we were moving. Um, not, not, not a year off by choice, um, but that's just how long it takes. And, um, and we are very excited to be back and to be giving people that rush, that joy, being able to be in the position to move them is really exciting and we would love to move you.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, for anyone in Houston or, or visiting, we're about seven miles west of downtown mm-hmm. uh, on uh, I-10 at about the loop. Uh, online uh, as well as strangebirdimmersive.com. You can find us on uh, Facebook. If you just look for strange bird immersive uh, Twitter, strange bird, IMM. Uh, and Instagram is also Um
0: And for any anybody else in the world who is just interested in immersive theater and that sort of thing, um, I do keep a blog called immersology.com, um, where I'm often writing about the kind of like philosophical or like meta issues, um, and sometimes on the ground, like looking at how we're creating things from a practical point of view. Um and also trying to create the the right kinds of effects to to move people, as I said before um so you can you can read that and um, and probably enjoy a little bit of of what it is that we're about
1: yeah and there's a there's a good backlog on on immersology. Uh, maybe now that uh, haley's not uh, a professional wall painter. Um, <laughs> We'll be able to to have a bit more new content on that.
0: Oh man, I'm going to write like so many articles about how to get a certificate of occupancy. It's going to be fun, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll get into like the fun stuff again. You know, like talking about <laughs> about the nuances and sound design, and I don't know what.
2: Definitely, definitely, and especially for those who are not in your neck of the woods, there, um, I think that immersology could definitely give those listening a really good taste of just the, the degree of thought and level of sophistication that is put into the work that you guys do. Um, So that is definitely worth checking out. Thank you.
1: Yeah. uh, And uh, we, uh, I don't know, Houston may be an out of the way place for, uh, for some people to visit. Uh, A lot of people uh, make a trip, out, out of uh, out of out of touring the uh, southeastern Texas Louisiana uh, sort of escape room locus. There's uh, uh, like three or three or four of the most highly regarded escape room companies uh, in the country uh, between Houston and Baton Rouge and New Orleans. Uh, it's a big triangle, but it is uh, it is an interesting one. That, oh, it's that, worthwhile. That, uh, a lot of a number of people. Have been doing recently.
2: Most definitely. Well, all right, you guys. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and uh, chat for a little bit.
0: Oh, it was it was our pleasure. Thank you so much for having us, Sky.
2: Most definitely, most definitely. And of course, for any of our listeners, as always, detailed show notes, links to all of the wonderful things that were mentioned can be found at www.immersionnation.com slash podcast. And, of course, until next time, thank you for listening. Calling all immersive adventurers, explorers, connoisseurs, and artists. The immersive revolution is just beginning. All that is to say, we would love any feedback that you might have on the show. What do you want to hear more of, less of? Anyone in particular you'd like us to have on the show? I would love to hear your thoughts, so please... Rate us, review us, or just drop us a line on the website at immersionnation.com. I always love having conversations about this wide and wild world that we are both living in and creating. Once again, this is the Immersion Nation podcast. Thank you for joining us in this adventure.